0: Talk 570 WTBN, Pinellas Spark. online at Let's Talk Faith.com, a service of the Salem Media. The versions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: Paul has been telling us in Ephesians chapter 4 that when we came to Christ, we put off the old man and we put on the new man. And the picture there is is taking off one garment and putting on another garment. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're to walk differently than those who don't know Christ. You're to be different than the way you used to be. That's what he says in verse 17. We're, We're to walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk, no longer as pagans, but now we are to walk differently. The word walk in the Bible simply means how we move through life, it means behavior, our conduct. And what Paul is saying is this, as you move through life, your conduct is to reflect that you're a new creature in Christ. That's, that's really all he's saying.
2: Continuing with our series, The Walk of the New Man, here on Verse by Verse. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 is very clear about the changes that take place when a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. There was an old way of life, but once we are in Christ, everything begins to change, including how we move through life. As we continue today on Verse by Verse... Pastor Steve is going to remind us that God's plan for his followers has always been that they should be different than those around them. This goes all the way back to the nation of Israel. Pastor Steve is going to show us some very practical ways that a person who is in Christ should and will behave when it comes to anger. Perhaps you've heard of righteous anger. We are going to see the difference between righteous anger and and the type of anger to which most of us fall prey. So, tighten your (laughs) seatbelts. We are ready for today's verse-by-verse program.
1: Ephesians chapter 4 is our study as we continue looking at the new walk. We're the new man, and so we're to have a new walk. Let's read verses 25 through the end of the chapter. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, For the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slams be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The past few years, and you're going to see in a moment how this relates to our message in case you wonder if I'm going crazy, but in the past few years, baseball uniforms have changed a, a great deal. Well, just in the last few years we've seen, at least I have being a baseball fan, the Chicago White Sox experimented with uh, shorts and shirts that went outside of the, uh, the baseball pants. The Houston Astros came out with a beautiful uniform which has stripes. It's brown and, and I think red and orange and just, just very pretty. Pittsburgh Pirates have now an old-fashioned baseball cap, a baseball cap sort of like the turn of the century. When I was out in California a few months ago, I went from L.A. to San Francisco to see my brother. We went into a shop to buy a, a baseball shirt for me because that's my team that I follow. And I was about to to get one, one shirt, actually a sweatshirt, and the woman said, well, you don't want that. You want the new one because they just came out with a new logo and you don't want to buy last year's logo. Well, they've changed. But in the midst of a lot of changes in baseball uniforms, one uniform has remained... Consistent. There's one uniform that really hasn't changed. Maybe there's a few more, but this one stands out in my mind for a specific reason. The material I think has changed, but the basic look has remained the same. And I'm referring to the uniform of the New York Yankees. It's uh, navy blue pinstripes on the backgrounds of a light, light gray. And you know why the Yankees haven't changed their uniforms? It has nothing to do with economics. It has nothing to do with the times changing. No. They feel that something happens to a ball player when he puts on the famous pinstripes of a New York Yankees uniform. They feel that it helps them play better. When they put on a uniform, somehow it seems, they say, to bring out the the best in a ball player When when he thinks of the winning tradition of Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio, and all the other Yankee famous ball players. It seems to bring out, they say, the best in a ball player because... They have such a background of Yankee-winning tradition. Now, I don't know that that's valid for the New York Yankees or any ball team, but I'll tell you the concept is biblical. There is a truth there, not in the sense of helping you play baseball, perhaps. I don't know. But I think that there's a principle there that I don't think the Yankees have thought of in their wildest imaginations. But the principle is this. It's exactly what Paul's been telling us in Ephesians That when you put on the new man, you put on a spiritual uniform. And when you put on the new uniform, your behavior needs to be different. It needs to bring out the best in you. You have a new man uniform. You need now to behave like a new man. You see, the Yankees think that by putting on a uniform, they're going to get another Ruth, DiMaggio, and Gehrig, and Mantle, and that probably doesn't work. But when a Christian, when a person becomes a Christian and puts on the new man, out of him ought to be the behavior that is the that has been the pattern of all God's saints for all the ages. Ethics ought to be different. Speech ought to be different. Perspectives ought to be different. Telling the truth ought to be different. Attitudes ought to be different. Our spiritual uniform should make a difference in the way that we live. Paul has been telling us in Ephesians chapter 4 that when we came to Christ, we put off the old man and we put on the new man. And the picture there is as taking off one garment and putting on another garment. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're to walk differently than those who don't know Christ. You're to be different than the way you used to be. That's what he says in verse 17. We're, We're to walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk, no longer as pagans, but now we are to walk differently. The word walk in the Bible simply means how we move through life. It means behavior, our conduct. And what Paul is saying is this, as you move through life, your conduct is to reflect that you're a new creature in Christ. That's that's really all he's saying. As you move, as you behave, as you conduct yourselves, you're to be different. And this has always been God's plan for his people. This isn't anything new. It's always been God's message to his people, to, to his ancient people. Israel was the message of of Leviticus 11.45, for I am the Lord who brought you up from the lands of Egypt to be your God, that thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. That was God's message to Israel. If God wanted Israel to know anything, he wanted them to know that they were to be different than the people around them. They were to be holy. They were to be set apart. They were to be separate. Israel wasn't to be like any of the other nations. They were not to conform to the immorality and the attitudes and the perspectives of those around them. But it's not just for Israel. It's the same message for us today, and I'd like you to turn to First Peter chapter one. And I want you to see that not only is that the message to God's ancient people, it's the message to God's redeemed people right now. First Peter chapter one, verse 14: "As obedient children do not be conformed, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance." Now, isn't that interesting? Peter is really saying the same thing that Paul has said, that the Gentiles walk according to ignorance, ignorance of God's truth. They are purposely ignorance, and they walk that way without meaning, without direction, without God's revelation. But he says you're not to be conformed to that way. How are we to be, Peter? Verse 15, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, and Peter is just quoting from the Old Testament, the passage we just mention Leviticus 11.45, you shall be holy for I am holy. It's the message of the, in the Old Testament, it's the message in the New Testament. If you're going to name the name of Christ, then you must in your behavior be like the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, you know what the word conform means, or I think in the authorized version it says fashion. I, I quote from Dr. Kenneth Wiest, who was for many years Greek professor at Moody Bible Institute. He says this, The word fashion in the Greek text refers to the act of assuming an outward appearance patterns after some certain thing, an appearance or expression which does not come from and is not representative of one's inmost and true nature. It refers here to the act of a child of God, assuming as an outward expression the habits, mannerisms, dress, speech, expressions, and behavior of the world out from which God saves him thus not giving a true expression of what he is, a cleansed, regenerated child of God, but instead hiding the Lord Jesus who should be seen in the life of the Christian. It is the believer masquerading in the costume of the world. And that's exactly what Paul is getting at. You're different. You're a believer. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. Now act that way. Don't masquerade as something you're really not. You've got a new nature, a new mind, a new man. Now act a new way. So really, the message of God to us and to the Ephesians is because you've had an inner transformation, you need an outward behavior that reflects it. And beginning with verse 25, as we saw last week, Paul's going to give us some practical ways the new man behaves. He first sets the groundwork with the general theological principle. This is what you've been taught in Jesus. You know the truth. Now apply the truth. And Paul begins to give us some specifics on behavior behavior. He says, the old man did this, so you don't do this anymore. The new man is you, and so you are to do this now. Don't do, don't walk the old way, walk the new way. And beginning in verse 25, he says, and we saw this last week, instead of, of telling falsehood, instead of speaking lies, the new man tells the truth. He speaks the truth, and we looked at a number of ways which we can lie, some subtle ways, some unethical ways, some ways that often we don't catch ourselves doing, but the new man has integrity. He speaks the truth. And uh, I really appreciate your responsiveness to the word this week. It's amazing how many people, when I said to them, how are you? Emphasize, I'm fine. I'm really fine. <laughs> and uh, I think everyone I said that to last week who was here for the message said that to me. I'm really, I'm telling you the truth. I'm fine. Really fine. So I know that God's word is penetrating and and uh, I appreciate that. And, and more importantly, that this is the standard that God has set and we're to be obedient to it. Now, tonight we want to look at another way the new man behaves. He has righteous anger instead of unrighteous anger. Let's look at verse 26 and verse 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. The Bible teaches that there are two kinds of, of anger. Basically, two kinds. There's righteous anger and there's unrighteous anger. And here Paul is commanding, now catch this, he is commanding the Christian to have righteous anger. We are to be angry. Not in an unrighteous way, but in a righteous way. Now he isn't just permitting the believer to be angry. He isn't just saying, well, look, when you're angry, just make sure it's not sin. I believe Paul is commanding us to be angry. To have a righteous anger. There are times when we must get angry. The new man has to get angry. When is that? When is that? When God and His Word and His work have been dishonored and disgraced? That's when it's right and proper and fitting, and even commanded by God to be angry. We're to have a righteous indignation. We're to be disturbed at sin. We're to be disturbed when we hear things that are wrong, when we see things that are wrong. We're to be angry when the holiness and the glory of God has been slandered and disregarded and offended. That's holy anger, and it's it's the right way to behave. Jesus got angry. Let's look at a few places where Jesus got angry. In Mark chapter 3, verse 5, we see that Jesus was angry. He had healed a man, and we see the response of the people around him, and the Bible says Jesus was angry. Mark chapter 3, verse 5, And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand, and his hand was restored. And and really, these religious leaders were saying, Is it lawful? on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm or to save a life or kill. it, And the Lord was angry at their attitude. Hypocrites, legalistic hypocrites. And Jesus was angry. And we know that he never sinned. We know that he couldn't sin. And so this is righteous anger. How about in John chapter two? Let's turn over there. John chapter two, we studied this as we went through that chapter. John chapter two, verse 13 and the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers seated. And he made a scourge of cords, and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their temple. And those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. Stop making a carnival place. So what he's saying. His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for what? Thy house will consume me. He was consumed with righteous anger when he saw his father's house being dishonored. That is the temple. Then in John chapter 11, you don't need to turn there. Verse 33, we've been studying about how the Lord raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember when he came and there was, at the tomb, there was Mary who was weeping and the Jewish people around her weeping and the Bible says Jesus was troubled. And we went into that, that that word can mean angered. He was, he was disturbed in his spirit. And I think that he was disturbed because he, he looked around he saw what the consequences of sin meant. Death is a consequence of sin. And, and I don't think he was weeping for Lazarus. He was just about to raise him from the dead. I think he was weeping because of compassion and, and, and mixed in with a hatred for sin and what it had done. That's righteous anger. God is a God of, of wrath. It isn't just the Lord Jesus in the New Testament is, an, is one who gets angry. But God is a God of wrath. And anger. Turn to Romans chapter 1. And, and this is just one of many verses that speak of God as being one of wrath. Right? He's one of love too, but he's one of wrath. And to set the context, look at verse 15. Paul says, Thus, for my part I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then he says, Verse 17, for in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. Why is Paul so eager to preach the gospel? God's righteousness is revealed, but that's only one side of the coin. The next side of the coin is verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. In unrighteousness god's wrath is revealed from heaven, and Paul says, "I am eager to preach the Gospel of righteousness because the wrath of God is revealed and manifested, so the Lord Jesus got angry, God is a God of wrath and anger towards sin. Paul got angry the Bible doesn't specifically say in the word in in, in specific words that he was angry, but in First Corinthians chapter five, I believe Paul was angry when he he recognized that the church at Corinth had a man who was living in sin, having relations with his stepmother, and the church would do nothing about it. They tolerated sin. And Paul wrote to them and, and he said, You deal with that man. You discipline him. If he doesn't respond, you put him out of the church. There's a there's a, a, a mood of anger that you can sense in the very intent and spirit of that passage. Peter seems to get angry at the sin of Ananias and Sapphira when in the book of Acts, chapter 5, they lied to the Holy Spirit. Peter wasn't calm. He was angry. He was disturbed that they would do this. God disciplined these folks. David summed up the whole issue by saying in Psalm 97, 10, he said, Hate evil, you who love the Lord. That, that just brings it all together. When you love the Lord, you hate evil because evil dishonors the Lord. When you love him, You can't stand to see his word being violated. You can't stand to see his name being taken in vain. You can't stand to see people take lightly the very holiness of God Almighty. And the new man ought to hate evil, express anger towards anything that violates the glory and holiness of God. We need, as God's people, to get disturbed over sin. We need to not be complacent. We need to get disturbed over sin in the world and disturbed over sin in the church, and there's far too little of that. We ought not to be complacent, tolerant. If God hates sin, then we should too. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 53, I think it's 153, burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake thy law. That should be our attitude. That should be our spirit. We ought to hate sin. The question is, I had to ask myself this week, how... Really, what's my response when I hear someone taking the Lord's name in vain? Is it, is it cowardice? Or when we read about the incredible number of murders in our country called abortions, do we get angry? Do we get disturbed? When you hear about a professing Christian who's involved in, in adultery, does it anger us, or do we just sort of have the attitude of, that's their business, it's not mine? We ought to get angry. It ought to do something to us. It's the response of the new man to get angry don't make you angry because god has been dishonored you see the new man has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth that's what paul says in verse 24 he says and put on the new self or the new man which in the likeness of god has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth he has a whole new set of standards and when those standards are violated and god's righteousness and holiness is violated we've got to get annoyed it isn't really an option And I think that the application is this. It is most important for us uh, who fellowship at Lakeside to communicate a genuine hatred towards sin. Not towards the sinner. Not towards the sinner. We're to love the sinner. But we've got to hate his sin. Because if we don't do that, then what we communicate, whether it's conscious or subconscious, we communicate to one another an attitude of tolerance. Sort of the idea that, well, if you sin, it's not going to disturb our relationship. You, that's your business. I don't like it, but, uh, I really am not going to do much about it. Listen, that, that should not be the case. We need to have an accountability to one another. We need, those around us need to know that we will not tolerate sin. We love them, but we will not fellowship with them while they're in sin. That needs to be our attitude. Not saying we shouldn't be compassionate. Not saying we shouldn't be loving. But we ought to be as, as holy as the Lord is, because that's what Peter says. Be holy for I am holy. Our attitude should be, I just can't stand sin. And because I love you and I love the Lord, I love you so much that I'm going to express a hatred for your sin. I'm not going to let you know that I approve of it because I don't. And we need to do this. We Sometimes we just have the attitude that, look, it's their business. It's not mine. No, it's our business. We're to be accountable to one another. We're to reprove one another. We're to rebuke one another. We're to exhort one another. We're to encourage one another. When someone's involved in sin, we ought to have righteous indignation. Let them know that we love them, but we hate their sin. See, this is an unselfish anger. It's not selfish. It is consumed with God's honor. But there's also a wrong kind of anger. That's not like this at all. An anger that belongs to the old man. You see, the new man gets angry when God's holiness has been violated. The old man gets angry when his personal rights have been violated. That's the difference. The anger of the new man is unselfish and righteous. The anger of the old man is selfish and it's sinful. When is anger wrong? Well, it's always wrong when it stems from injured pride. That's when it's wrong. And sometimes we may try to cover it up and say it's righteous, but it's not righteous at all. Someone says something to us that bothers us because we feel we have some rights. We have rights. Who do they think they are speaking to us? We feel that we have rights and the other person has violated these rights and we get angry. Let me illustrate what I mean by this. Man comes home, husband comes home for dinner at night. He walks through the door and it's not ready. Dinner is not there. His wife's had a rough day or she's just... You know, hasn't got the the food ready. He goes to the table. He pounds his fist on the table and says, when I walk through that door, I expect a hot meal to be ready on the table. He's angry. He's agitated. He's disturbed. Why is he angry? Why is he angry? Because he feels like he has a right to have a hot meal ready when he comes home. And the truth of the matter is, is he doesn't even have a right to eat at all. It's all a privilege from the Lord. He doesn't even have a right to have a wife who makes him food. But he gets angry because he thinks he has a right and it's been violated. You know what? The only thing we have a right and we deserve to have is and that's to be sent to hell. That's all the rights that we have. That's all that we deserve. And we can try to skirt the issue by saying somebody is just, you know, he's just touchy. That's his personality. He's just touchy, or he's just overly sensitive. He's not just touchy, he's not overly sensitive. It's just wounded pride. He feels he has some rights, or she feels she has some rights. And nobody's going to violate my rights, and I'm going to let somebody know if they do. They're not going to step all over me. If it's rights we're interested in, then really we ought to to see the perspective that we deserve nothing but hell. That's our right.
2: My rights. Injured pride, sinful anger, righteous anger. Wow, that was a full meal today. If you feel like you've been to an all-you-can-eat banquet and you're stuffed, get ready for the next verse-by-verse program because there's more to come. And then there's dessert. I'd have to say that Pastor Steve brought it today. He held up the mirror of God's Word and showed us our hearts. Like I said, we do have more on this subject on our next Verse by Verse program and I hope you're planning to join us then. In fact, would you tell a friend and encourage them to listen as well? I would also encourage you to check out versebyverseradio.org and learn more about the Verse by Verse Ministry. There are so many podcasts available around us today, but one that I think will have tremendous benefit in your life is the Verse by Verse podcast, which you can find at versebyverseradio.org.